I'm Alexis. I'm Mallory. And this is Noopcast. Today we're going to be talking about the new Fantastic Beasts trailer. We previously talked about doing a slumber party of questions and theories. That will be our next episode because we didn't want to overload one with all of these different things that are coming out now in addition to our crackhead theories. So we're (laughs) we're sparing you the time there. (laughs) So let's just jump into Potter Watch then. So as we have talked about before, the Cursed Child play has premiered on Broadway. Um, So that has been underway. And a friend of ours, Ryan, actually went and saw it with his wife. So we asked him to tell us what he thought about it. And this is what he had to say. I can't express how giddy I was throughout both parts. The production value of both parts amazed us. Everything from shadowed hands lifting Draco and Harry in a duel to Harry transfiguring into Voldemort in the finale of the final act placed an awe over us. I especially went crazy inside and out when the Dementors took flight at the end of part one while the new Voldemort banner rose from the stage. Overall, very impressed. As for the story, being with our friends again was wonderful. Scorpius stole the show. Albus was conflicted and relatable character. Moaning Myrtle was the best five minutes of my life. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think due to the nature of it being a time travel-based show, the story was stronger in some parts than others, but really just being back in an HP world easily made up for any head-scratching moments where, oh wait, we have a second, even better time-turner. MacGuffins are lame, but passable in HP. <laughs> so, that's kind of fun to hear. Yeah, Thanks for that, sure. Ryan. Scorpius does steal the show. Um, I read a few articles about the Broadway premiere of the play, and the producer of the play, Sonia Friedman, was interviewed for a few different people, and they asked her if this super long, you know, five-plus-hour show is too long, especially, like, for people bringing kids. And she was saying that, you know, most people who are a huge part of the fan base are between 25 and 35. And she's like, they like it so much, they would like part three. Oh. (laughs) Would they? Would they really, Sonia? Oh, man. She's the woman that I talked to after the first part. I mean, the production itself is amazing. Like, it is a very enjoyable thing. And the two shows isn't too long because they divide it, especially when they're, like, separate days, at least for me. But... Yeah, part three is that. Why? No, <laughs> you've done enough. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to our Pottermore news? Let's do it. I would uh, say the biggest bit of news is that Pottermore has removed the bulk of their editorial staff, which is a big change. Yeah, uh, what? So their official statement was that as a result of a reorganization at Pottermore, there has been a number of small or a small number of job losses. These reflect the evolution of the business and are being handled as sensitively as possible. And then Hypable and MuggleNet and people who had ins with them were (laughs) talking to another source who said that... um, Basically, editorial writers had struggled with writing freely about the Harry Potter universe, especially when actor Johnny Depp was cast as evil wizard Grindelwald for the Fantastic Beasts film, a decision that was controversial among Potter fans. And they said, reporting from inside a franchise that so values its secrecy has been limiting because there's so much Pottermore can't say that other outlets can. I'd say as an important side note that they've also suffered from a very sad waning in confidence from fans since the decision to cast Johnny Depp, which is 
reflective of what we were talking about in our last episode that people are kind of losing confidence in this franchise right yeah it so basically sorry no that's okay um it's really interesting to me that they talked about how it's such a struggle to write freely about it in general i can imagine the sorts of things like that you try to pass as an article and people are like oh this is telling too much or like this is your own things though like this isn't what you rowling actually thinks and that must be like super stressful to be like so what am i writing about like nothing you're writing about nothing just keep doing it exactly i think i mean i'm sure it sucks for the people who don't have this job anymore but yeah. i think for the overall website this is a good change because it was really confusing to have these editorial pieces and like buzzfeed type lists go up that looks like they should be official content because they're coming from pottermore but it's just these people's opinions yeah and people would post theories or whatever because they you know were fans too and then it made it sound like these were officially sanctioned theories instead of actual news content from pottermore it was very confusing so i think this is going to be a good change overall i hope so it's oh man and like talking about the Johnny Depp thing came up twice. Is that two different sources or? I think it was just the one source oh, okay. that was talking about that. But it's interesting, yeah. like if an editorial staff writer knew about that waning confidence, clearly like they know about it. Like it's not going to be, hopefully, like <laughs> I feel like they have a false sense of security that their fan base will never change or move or, you know, mm-hmm that they will always be beloved by everyone. But yeah, I think that all of our complaining about Johnny Depp and all of that situation is worthwhile because it is at least raising some alarm, hopefully at Pottermore. Yeah. So March 15th, it looks like the Pottermore released the audiobook of Quidditch Through the Ages, and it's narrated by Andrew Lincoln of The Walking Dead. Um, the main Fantastic Beast news is that we have a trailer and we'll be discussing that in our suitcase segment. So let's move right along here. In other news, we have a new Wizarding World logo, which is basically what's going to be stamped on everything from Harry Potter to Fantastic Beast games, anything in this franchise. Because up until now, we've had some of this like J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World and everything, but it's kind of made it seem like it was her writing it. And now it's just Wizarding World. So it right. looks like it's opening it up more to other content creators while still being under this umbrella of this franchise. I like the font and I like that it is, if you haven't seen it yet, it, when was, where was it shown? The trailer? Yeah, I think they released, or like they premiered this logo the day before they released the trailer. Oh, okay, okay. So it shows nine different ones of, you know, all different characters from Harry Potter to Fantastic Beasts with the Elder Wand in the center, notably. Um, and it looks like it's supposed to be shaped like a book. So like opening the pages of the book with these wands open, like you're fanning out a book. So I think it's kind of a cool concept. Um, it is. It's a cool logo. I like the font a lot. It's not, there's a bit of the Harry Potter uh, lightning bolt in the first W, but it's not the same Harry Potter font that we've gotten <laughs> since 1990 something. which I feel like is a welcome change I like that because I I like that if they're going to incorporate other aspects of the world that they are making it unique and not constantly related to one boy in the franchise that started it all yep okay well I was gonna say about this logo that I think that this is a good way to label something as part of this 
particular franchise without necessarily labeling it as canon or J.K. Rowling's canon, which was what having her name stamped it on stamped on it tended to do with the Wizarding World or Pottermore logos, and that was what made Pottermore so confusing for people too. Is that Pottermore logo has her name on it, but there's all this stuff being written by people who weren't her. Right. Yeah. So this whole thing may be good or bad news, depending on your perspective, especially, you know, as we head 10, 20, 30 years into the future, because I can see it definitely moving in the way of the Star Wars franchise, where there are other people creating content for it, and there will be a lot more confusion as to what canon is, because, you know, we might get TV spinoffs, comic books, definitely more games, probably a remake of films at some point. Maybe an official musical eventually. <laughs> oh my god! Who knows? It's yeah. Like I like the logo on its own, but when you start to like wonder what does this mean <laughs> on a deeper franchise level, yeah, that is really worrying because it does feel like a really big mess. And I don't know if I want to read the rest of my comment because people will hate me for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay. Star Wars fans, skip ahead 10, 15 seconds. So this is why I kind of don't like Star Wars. <laughs> because everything feels made up and the rules don't matter. <laughs> yeah, I would just prefer to have what we have. And then I think I'm ready to end it. I, I've been ready to end it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a new Hogwarts mystery video released. Um, the game looks really cool. I'm excited about it. We see you. <laughs> including Snape. We see a puppy version of Fang. Uh, we see Tonks and Bill. There's the Whomping Willow in one little frame, and it's it's cool. It did just release the release date officially. It's, I think it's April 25th. Yeah. So this will be coming out April 25th, and also they released the cast. <laughs> there are four uh, professors from the movies who are going to be reprising the roles in the form of their voice. Um, so we're going to get Warwick Davies as Professor Flitwick, Gemma Jones as Madame Pomfrey, Zoe Wanamaker as Madame Hooch, and Sally Mortimer as Madame Pince. Which is so interesting to me because does she have a speaking role in the movies? I don't think so. I mean, did we even ever see? I googled I googled, <laughs> I googled Madame Pince and I, I don't even recognize her from the movies, but she was in them. She was sitting next to Snape at the in the Great Hall. She's a really okay. bad a, she has a really bad a hat though, or whatever you call that, which is hat. Okay. Who I'm picturing? Then I always assumed like this ha has no basis in anything. My brain just decided it uh -huh. that it was Professor Sinestra. Yeah, uh huh. I can totally see that because you don't expect the librarian to be next to the teachers for some reason yeah i don't know and but, like looking so cool yeah she looks really dope i like her a lot i don't even know if she was in any other movie besides like the first two because they all look like old pictures but yeah i thought that was <laughs> interesting cool well they got her voice yeah <laughs> whatever that's worth <laughs> um let me check one more thing because i think i missed something Okay, so other actors include Dane Maggie Smith for Professor McGonagall, Michael Gammon for Professor Dumbledore, and that's it. So, my bad, I missed the two very important actors that I love. Dang, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, shall we open the suitcase? Let's do it. 
Uh, we have a trailer, so that's exciting. It's not just a teaser. Should we... It came at just the right time for me, too, because we just got done talking about how we're feeling so disheartened with this whole thing and then the trailer came and I got all excited again so for real yeah that's really good let's just jump in then yeah we I kind of pull out some highlights and they're completely non-chronological so I mean if you're trying to follow along apologies but <laughs> toward the beginning of the trailer we see what I assume are Ministry of Magic officials just apparating onto Hogwarts grounds and I'm very much not the only person who noticed this I've seen a lot of people on the internet up in arms about it. Um, some people have theorized that the no apparating within Hogwarts rule wasn't in place until Dumbledore became the head, headmaster and put it in place. So, you know, that's one possibility. Right. Is that, is that a theory or something actually people know? Because I, I don't know. people have been commenting on that as if like, oh no, of course it's like this because. Uh, well, I don't actually know if it's a theory or it's true or if it's just people saying that it's true because they, they want to be right decided yeah <laughs> who even knows anymore what is canon mallory <laughs> <laughs> we did a whole episode on it and we still don't know we still can't figure it out um but jessica williams who is a very funny person and who is also in the film but we don't know who she's playing yet um, someone commented on it and she said, David Yates and Joe wrote the script. Who knows more about the Potter universe than the person who created it? Nobody, not a single person. So like, LOL, what do you mean? Don't you think that will be addressed in film? Don't you think there was a reason for it? Do you think you know more than she does on the subject? <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, but also, uh, who knows more about this universe than David Yates? Probably a decent number of people, honestly. <laughs> a good handful of fans. I bet any of us could take them on on the Harry yeah, Potter trivia. Sure, of course. Like she knows more than any of us. But David Yates, I could I could debate on that one. <laughs> but it was also funny that she was talking about basically saying, like, hey, trust these guys. And we were just saying, mm, we don't really trust them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean, it's our job to nitpick it trailers as fans. We're always going to do it, and we always have, so. Absolutely. There's a bunch of ministry people who speak to Dumbledore at Hogwarts, the people who operated there, we presume. And you notice this, too, that he's in the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom when he teaches Transfiguration, according to the books. So yeah. do we think that they just think, oh, this classroom, everyone knows this classroom, like this is iconic Hogwarts. Yeah space or is it let's just say he teaches defense against the dark arts because it works for the story better i hope it's the former that it's just a more recognizable set that they still have and they decided to use it i agree i i'm like trying to remember mcgonagall's set but it seems really just plain and straightforward like it's in the castle so that classroom at least has the little balcony area and Maybe, I mean, and you could, you could explain it away as just like, oh, this was previously the Transfiguration classroom, and they just sure. moved it. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? Who do that? <laughs> um, in this shot, we also see Newt's brother, Theseus, um, just kind of hanging out. We don't know what he's up to, but... Okay, which one is he? Because I didn't know that. Is He's not the one who's talking. No, he's like standing. It's when you see Dumbledore. He's not with the Ministry people. 
Oh. You see Dumbledore, and there's two people kind of standing behind them, and one of them is Theseus, and I can't remember which one. Really? Okay, wait, I need to pull up the trailer now. I did like that they moved away from the... They haven't used the Hedwig's theme, have they? Um, If they did, I didn't notice. I know, like, the music at the very beginning felt familiar, but... Oh. I did not even notice there were two people behind Dumbledore in that shot. They also look like identical people, just with one has darker hair. hard because we don't know them yet, and they're basically just like, hey, here's some aesthetically pleasing white dudes. <laughs> literally, literally carbon copies of each other. I would not pick them out of a crowd, but I think the guy on the right there is Theseus. So that's when some guy from maybe the ministry, uh, he accuses Dumbledore if Newt is there on his orders in going to France, right? Yeah. Dumbledore classically denies this, but doesn't actually deny it really (laughs) and says that newt pretty much does what he wants so there's really no telling why he's going but yeah i really liked that line because it was just it was classic dumbledore where he's like hey did you do this answers the question but doesn't answer the question and he's being snarky about it and he has a little like half chuckle how Um, how does he reach all of your expectations of dumbledore It's another one of those problems where I know Jude Law as Jude Law so well that it's distracting for me right now. Mm, Yeah, I can see that. Uh, The line definitely helped me draw that connection back to Dumbledore better than I had up to this point. Because up to this point, it's basically just been Jude Law with a little beard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think I'll be able to get there. Good deal, good deal. But I'm still having the same problem with Johnny Depp, too, even aside from all of his other crap. Just the fact that it's Johnny Depp makes it hard for me to see him as Grindelwald. So we also see Theseus doing some sort of spell work with Newt. They do, like, this really dramatic, like, pounding of the earth, which is kind of cool. Not really sure what it would be for, but I'm sure there's reasons. It would be something, like drawing up defensive just from the general like it makes this line in the ground or whatever but I don't actually know but it's very cool it does look cool I like the deluminator reference to Dumbledore because that's such a iconic piece of Harry Potter history it's not really used that much in the films but I I feel like (laughs) I I guess it's used just as much in the books but for some reason in the books it feels a lot more important (laughs) but And they made Ron's involvement with it in Deathly Hallows film so goofy that it, yeah. it doesn't feel as, like, powerful. That's true. It loses punch. Yeah, because yeah. it feels like a joke rather than, like, a meaningful moment. Uh, we get a quick shot of what I assume is the French Ministry of Magic, and it's absolutely beautiful. So they are definitely keeping up to standards with their set building on that count. Which one were you thinking was that? Was that the one where they're all like in fancy dresses and the ladies dancing around? No, it was just a quick pan of like a big room and everything was kind of silvery. And it was kind of like the Makuza headquarters in that there was just logos and stuff everywhere. And Oh, I see. I see. Um, we also get a quick little shot of the Wizarding Circus, which we learned the name is Le Cirque Arcanus, which I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but... There we are. And I don't know 
my source for this is just internet hearsay, but this character Maledictus that is the one who has the blood curse that transforms her into a beast. And I don't actually know if Maledictus is her name or the name of her condition, because the way some people talk about it makes it sound like it's her name, and other people talk about it and like it's the name of this blood curse condition thing. But we don't have another name for her to go with, so it's very confusing. Anyway, people are saying that she is an attraction of this circus. So maybe she transforms into the beast for people's amusement or whatever, which is depressing. <laughs> I hate circuses. <laughs> I know. I know. <sighs> so, I mean, is this whole magical circus just going to make me upset and depressed? Or is there going to be a lot of cool magical, you know, acrobatics and stuff? There were, like, people floating around in bubbles in that little shot, which was kind of neat. Yeah, that was cool. A bunch of sad magical creatures and abused people in there. <laughs> I don't want it. Well, maybe that's a... Uh, well, you have a theory later on. I'll, I'll let you get to that. <laughs> do you want to skip to that and come back? or? Yeah, let's do it. Do let's want... do it. There is a bit in the trailer where Credence is looking very angry and he uses a wand to smash apart some kind of cage. And I couldn't see if there's anything in it or not. But my theory is what if Credence goes to Paris and meets this maledictus girl and learns that she is a subject of abuse and ridicule in this magical circus and helps her escape because he feels this connection to her because they both have this, you know, the darkness inside and all of that nonsense. And on the way out, they smash all the cages and release all the magical creatures that the circus has there. And that is either what brings Newt to Paris because he hears that it reports that there's a bunch of escaped magical creatures and he wants to get them to safety. Or he's already there um, on Dumbledore's orders and gets sidetracked because there's a bunch of magical creatures and he wants to get them to safety. I hope it's not what brings him to Paris because that's basically the plot of the first film. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be kind of lame for them to do that again. But I could see that being the tie-in for the actual magical creatures bit of this, you know, it is still called Fantastic Beasts. So maybe that would be a way for them to tie that in besides just Newt happening to have Pickett in his pocket and them going in his suitcase every once in a while and seeing a creature. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. And I can totally see that being like sort of a subplot, but with the difference of like the American government being super, super against all these creatures getting out, like that's super illegal compared to France. I don't know how France would be, right? Like who yeah, knows? We don't know anything yet. You chalk it up to to alcohol or something. I don't know. Like <laughs> maybe they find it find it better, easier ways of of excusing magical beasts in the wild, but. Yeah, I mean, if they've got a circus, you've got to assume they're at least more lax than the Americans. Exactly. This is true. Yeah. Americans, he couldn't even bring something back to, like, native Arizona, right? <laughs> Without it being against the law. So I, how much do you think we're going to learn about, like, the French, like, magical system and government and things? I don't know. They haven't teased us with anything about, like, French ministry official being characters like we heard a ton about Seraphina Pickery before the first film came out and we haven't heard anything That's this true. One other than it's in Paris but we also but never also, got anything about Seraphina Pickery either 
<laughs> so true. So I don't know, but we do still have quite a few months before this film comes out, and the you know this is only the first trailer, so they haven't really hit with the marketing very hard yet. True, true. Okay, we'll learn a lot more before this movie comes out. Let's return to Lita Strange and that small clip that we have of her hanging around with a bunch of rich looking people wearing some fancy clothes um watching this dancer so that's the the scene where we have a first a bird's eye view of this dancer swirling around and some magical thing happening above her not sure if that's a creature or just an effect um i like the fact that this dancer was in a costume that reminded me a lot of the Bobaton students dresses when they were first entering the great hall in the goblet of fire film which is kind of tie into that without completely hitting us in the head with like, hey, these are also French people that you've seen before. Just a little throwback to that, which, you know, yeah. I never liked the fact that they made Bobatons into an all-girls school, but at least with the costume similarities, it's a cool little thing there. I really like the idea that they kept that fabric, but also the colors of that. I don't know. I like the set dressing of this scene. That's all I can say. It's so hard to pick it apart when it's just so just up in the air as to like where they're even at. This one was very cool and it's just a very brief moment in the trailer so it's hard to see what's going on but if you pause it and take a good look at it you see someone we don't know who because it's from behind so it could be Dumbledore, it could be Theseus, it could be someone else that we don't even know but they're looking at this wall and there's this sort of projection of an illuminated chart that looks like it is a Lestrange family tree. Uh, you definitely see Lita Lestrange's name on there. And what's really interesting about it is the name Credence Barebone also appears on the chart. But because it's, you know, so obscured, we can't see if he's actually part of the family tree, if this even is a family tree, or if this is some sort of like, you know, the classic pinning things on a wall with the red strings between that people do in TVs and movies, but not actually real life. <laughs> If that's like their magical version of trying to make connections or whatever, and they both just happen to be on it. But yeah. either way, it looks like these characters are a lot more tightly interwoven than we previously thought. So I'm really interested in how that is all involved. Yeah, this is a really interesting scene because for me, I can't imagine it as a family tree. Considering the location, it looks like it's in a train station of some sort or or a um, some kind of subterranean. <laughs> Yeah, like sewage system, something like that. Um, some yeah, some kind of tunnel. And I feel like a lot of the the writing on the wall is has been scratched out. So, like you said, like that does remind us of the whole strange <laughs> crossing out of people who are not super pure blood. But I could also see this as a hit list of some sort, or sort of a, a plan that somebody's been mapping out and like trying to figure out and you see like this one face image that happens a lot that's like there's like one fully white face then you have the eye is obscured and they're all black and then it's half white and half black and i don't know it's just like really interesting to me and maybe somebody's trying to figure out what credence is or like how credence works as an obscurus yeah i'm very intrigued any connection between Lita and Credence because for all we know they've certainly never met and right I don't think they could be related other than 
they both happen to be in this movie and no Newt Scamander. Well, Credence was, wasn't he orphaned and, or no? Yeah, that's what's interesting about it is, what's her name? Barebone adopted him. We don't know who real parents are. We know that J.K. Rowling has a fascination with reveals regarding parents and parentage. (laughs) So it wouldn't surprise me if it just so happens to be a Lestrange child that was booted out. and That's definitely part of her M.O. Yeah. What if he was, like, meant to be an experiment? Like, they knew that he'd be treated ill. That'd be terrible. I don't know. So we get quick little shots of each of our foursome. Jacob being super enthusiastic about getting into the magical world again, which is adorable. Yep. There's Tina and Queenie make really quick appearances. Not really profound appearances yet. (laughs) At least Jacob has um, a little quick line, right? Where he's like super excited to go back into the suitcase with Newt. You do see Pickett. A few magical creatures in the trailer, not a ton, but we see Pickett and a few of the moon calves that we saw in the last film. Um, there's, there's a shot of Newt riding some kind of creature underwater, which I assume is a Kelpie, maybe a hippocampus, but we don't know. But, it, you know, underwater horse-like thing, so <laughs> probably a Kelpie. Um, there is a gray bird that shows up twice, which I assume is an augury. I don't remember there being a bird. Yeah, um, in that little scene where Jacob has his line, it's like standing behind him. It looks, I mean, it looks like a really goofy version of their design for phoenixes, and it's gray. Okay. According to the Fantastic Beasts book, the Augury is basically a depressed phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) It looks. And it's raining behind the birds, so that. Oh, is it? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Well, Theory confirmed. Yeah. Um, In that same shot, there is also some kind of antlered creature that looks like a really wonky antelope slash elk with like this beardy business going on. It's got these two horns that are kind of twisted and branchy. I can't think of what it would be except maybe a bicorn, but it is nothing like what I pictured a bicorn would look like. So. I have no idea. Do you have any idea? No. You are the creature master. If you were baffled, <laughs> then so am I. Are those like bulbous eyeballs next to uh, Jacob supposed to be? Wait, are those moon calves? What are those? Do you see those? Well, I'm not looking at the picture oh. right now, but if you're talking about that like little group of the big eyed faces down there, I think uh-huh. those are the moon calves. Okay, good. Cool. They kind of look like uh, Night Furies from How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this horned creature, it's either something that we haven't heard about before or a bicorn, because I can't think of anything else. We do get one close shot of Grindelwald. Looks like he's held captive in some sort of a, a carriage. He does look really gross. Is this, and you're you're assuming this is after he escapes from Akuza's custody. Yeah, this is. I mean, I'm just throwing out guesses. I don't actually know, but okay. we do know he's gonna escape. So right, right. I was wondering if this will be like the very beginning when he makes his escape. Could be. Yeah, we guess we don't know that. I can't remember what he was wearing in the film. So and then we also have another shot of him standing next to this woman on the street, which 
is um, Zinda Rosier. Before, when we were listing people who'd been cast in this movie, one of the characters they mentioned was Rosier, and I assumed it was Evan Rosier. But now we've got this woman, so it must be some relative of his who, you know, just is also not a savory character um, <laughs> because she's then also standing by his side when he's standing in front of this huge group of people, I guess, mm. rallying them to his cause or whatever the case may be. He it looks a little bit like a uh, like the chamber that was in the Ministry of Magic when Harry had to go for his court hearing or whatever. I like the same thing, actually. It's the same sort of bowl shape with a ton of people able to sit down. Yeah. But the people look like they're all standing, so you might be right in that he's trying to gather troops, basically. He also got a haircut. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he is a metamorphosis. Okay, speaking of that, I mean, I don't think he is, but <laughs> <laughs> for the longest time, I never noticed the other M in metamorphmagus. I always said it metamorphagus. Same. I'm the exact and then same. just a little while ago when we were putting together questions for our next episode, when we were talking about whether Tonks, if someone took Polyjuice Potion with Tonks' hair in it, if they would turn into a metamorphmagus, I was looking at the word and I was like, wait, there's another <laughs> M in here. I've been saying it wrong for the last however many years. No, it took me a long time to see that too, and I, I still say it wrong all the time. I tried really hard for our new cast audience, though. <laughs> <laughs> trying to bring you somewhat quality content here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, and then we do see, and besides Credence, attacking the birdcage inside of what appears to be a circus tent. We also see him on a rooftop showing an obscurial sort of thing out of his hand to the Maledictus character. We saw a little waft of him escape last time. How does he regain human form? Is he just like fine because it's a little waft still or? I guess. I don't know. I feel like this won't happen, but should happen is he has to like go through some sort of a Voldemort structure of how do I regain a body? But I think they're just going to skip that over and be like, well, look at there. I guess with Excurials, you can be a human anytime you want. I so. mean, it definitely seems like he's got this whole thing a lot more under control now if he's you know showing it to people at will when he's not in a murderous rage. So and, Yeah, and what appears to be plain daylight too. So that's fun. As for him being able to turn back into his human form... I don't know. I think we're just going to have to chalk this one up, too, because they say so. (laughs) Because magic. All right, so we got a really cool theory from Patrick Lester on Twitter. Okay, I'm going to read it out loud. There's a couple paragraphs, but they do have a lot of moving parts, and it is a really cool theory, so bear with us. So he says... We've known since the original series that Dumbledore was called on for quite some time to confront Grindelwald in some form or another by the wizarding community, yet he refrained from doing so until their legendary duel in 1945. The reason for his apprehension to face Grindelwald after their parting following the event that ended in Ariana Dumbledore's death is still left to speculation. Now in the Fantastic Beasts series, we have confirmation that Dumbledore was actively engaged in the opposition against Grindelwald in the decades still leading up to their eventual duel, albeit by proxy via Newt's commander. So if he is interested in the defeat of Grindelwald, why does it take him 20 plus years to put himself on the front line and bring down what was at the time known to be the greatest dark wizard to have ever lived? 
I believe that when Dumbledore tells Newt he cannot act against Grindelwald and that it must be him, he means it quite literally. I think he's prevented from actually physically confronting Grindelwald by an unbreakable vow that they may have made during their time together in their youth. I believe that during the fever pitch of one of their impassioned political discussions of the world they'd built together in the pursuit of the greater good, that they might have sealed their pact to always work together in pursuit of etc. etc. with an unbreakable vow. The exact wording of the vow I'm totally unsure of, but the essence must somehow prevent Dumbledore from just walking out and casting spells at him to save the day. I don't think Dumbledore would have told anyone for the reason for his physical avoidance of Grindelwald, as I'm sure it would have been incredibly shameful to admit his pact with the mass murderer prevents him from saving innocent lives. Now, the obvious reason against this theory is that they do eventually physically fight each other, as we know, and it's unlikely that if there was any unbreakable vow that Dumbledore manages to break it somehow and then go on to fight Grindelwald. So if they fight, then there could have been no vow. But I think there's reason to believe that the duel may have never occurred, or at the very least might have happened quite differently than we currently imagine. In The Deathly Hallows, when advertising for her new biography on Dumbledore in an interview, Rita Skeeter says this of the historic duel. All I'll say is, don't be so sure that there was really the spectacular duel of legend. After they read my book, people may be forced to conclude that Grindelwald simply conjured a white handkerchief from the end of his wand and came quietly. That's page 26 of chapter 2. At the time, we obviously didn't take that for much, but as Harry and the reader discover later on, regarding other shocking claims she makes in the interview that we believe to be likely false, are actually completely accurate considering her source, however unethical, was extremely legitimate. So perhaps that's an early clue from Rowling that will come to play here. Perhaps because of the vow, the duel is actually more of a protracted conversation between the two great wizards at long last, in which by some means Grindelwald does actually end up surrendering the Elder Wand to his old friend which would be consistent with the fact that we know the Elder Wand is supposed to be truly unbeatable in a genuine head-to-head contest. So yeah, that's what he thinks. This is a really cool theory. I think that overall, the conclusion he comes to is definitely plausible. The one big hole I can find in it is that Dumbledore and Grindelwald did already physically duel, not just in their final confrontation, but in the confrontation that killed Ariana. Mm. So if they had made a vow never to go up against other as he postulates here then this could never have happened or they both would have died due to breaking that unbreakable vow but i would present a possible alternative to this what if albus dumbledore made an unbreakable vow with aberforth dumbledore after the death of their sister to never go and fight grindelwald because what had happened as a result of that this would still give him his reason here of avoiding facing Grindelwald and the time setting of Crimes of Grindelwald without this hang-up here. So that is a possibility. That's true. Uh, Do I think that this is the likely answer as to why Dumbledore said he couldn't face Grindelwald directly? No. I think there will be an actual final duel because cinematically it's, you know, it's material for a bigger and more interesting finale to have people watch in a movie theater than two dudes sitting down and being diplomatic and talking which you know would be the better solution but it's not as interesting to watch on a movie screen i have a sub theory okay what if the duel is the cinematic duel that we're all hoping for but because he can't fight based on this unbreakable vow or whatever he is just using defensive spells the entire time so it's just grindelwald attacking 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 and Dumbledore just defending himself the whole time, so he's not going against the vow. And somehow Grindelwald gets himself stuck in some sort of a situation or ends up killing himself based off his own pride or greed or 
Well, except we know that Grindelwald doesn't die because he's done oh, in freak. Prison. Yeah, you're right. I forgot no, he doesn't die. But, you know, there, there still could be ways around this. True, true. Um, the quote that he mentions from Rita Skeeter's book is, is the best evidence I can see against the duel ever actually happening. Um, and it would be a cool tie-in to the books, you know. Yeah, previous. I would actually really appreciate that kind of a tie-in for sure. But, you know, since it is from Rita Skeeter, <laughs> we all know that she's not exactly someone you can take at her word. Right. I like the idea, though, of using, like, this this tidbit of the book and explaining it through the movie as opposed to, like, just adding to the book. Yeah. I, I do like the function of the movies in that aspect. As for the Elder One being people in a genuine head-to-head contest, do we actually know that to be true? Because, I mean, we do know that it's supposed to be powerful, but as far as what I thought, I mean, it sounded like this reputation for it being unbeatable was just part of the legend, and it was really just a very powerful wand. On the wikia right now, so Ron calls it an unbeatable wand. Although the Elder Wand was rumored to be unbeatable, in Dumbledore's commentary on the, the tale of the three brothers in the tale of Beetle the Bard, he pointed out that while immensely powerful, it had been beaten hundreds of times, as evidenced by the simple and obvious fact that each of its many owners had captured it from the previous one. Right. For it to pass to a new master, the wand must have been beaten. However, since the first story of the Elder Wand passing featured the wand's master being killed while he was asleep, rather than being defeated in a duel, duels may not be required to claim the wand. So I guess so it's still- we don't really know. Yeah, in a head-to-head duel, if it is unbeatable, because I mean, Harry w- went up against it, but Voldemort wasn't the true master of the wand, which was the whole point of all of that. <laughs> that's true. Conversation. So that's a you know you could consider that a loop. Is the wand unbeatable thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Guess we're gonna find out. Anyway, it's cool theory. We'll see if it pans out. Yeah, I personally feel like it's going to be clearly there. Like, I do like the fact that this this person is talking about this gap of information, right? Where like Dumbledore clearly is aware of the threat and clearly feels like there's a need to go up against it, but isn't willing to do it himself. Which, I mean, not only does that echo Harry Potter's entire journey in his life, um, but I'm wondering if it's not going to be um, his feelings for Grindelwald that he still has or something. And that's what I always assumed, that it was just kind of the their history sort of that was holding him back. Right, where he still loves him, although he can't admit that right now. And that also gives a little bit of credence haha, to why yeah. it might not mention why he's going to mention that he's gay in this film, but in coming films that might come out, right? Of him being like, trying not to tell people that, oh yeah, I fell in love with this murderer. He certainly doesn't want to risk people finding out about the fact that he used to be in line with Grindelwald too. Yeah. So is that what we're here for, to theorize. That's true. Anything else you might've missed? I think we covered everything I had. Awesome. Shall we move on to the Remember All? Let's do it. I haven't had a Remember All in a while, but when I was searching through my Harry Potter tag on my Tumblr for questions to use for <laughs> next episode, I came across a post in which the person who posted it had the realization that the real reason the Dementors were so interested in Harry in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban when, they, when we were first introduced to Dementors and everything 
was probably not just the fact that he had a tragic past, because I mean, plenty of other people had very tragic pasts. Neville, Jenny had seen some pretty awful crap. Like, mm. these are all children of people who had been involved in the first war with Voldemort, so there's lots of scary backstories going on there. So the real reason was probably that he had two souls inside of him. <laughs> and I don't know if I ever had this realization and just forgot about it, or if this was a aha moment for me. Because that just completely took me by surprise. I was like, oh, yeah, duh. He's a horcrux. He's got two souls inside him. Of course the Dementors are going to see that and go, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason, this is what really got me, the reason that Harry was so affected by them was not just the horror of his own memories, but the memory that he's seeing when he experiences the Dementors for the first time wasn't his memory. It was Voldemort's. Because he's seeing... James defending them and going down and all of that. Like, he's seeing this from Voldemort's perspective. So then he's experiencing Voldemort's soul being ripped from his body as a result of the curse rebounding. And that's obviously very traumatic. Yeah. That dude. So, of course, it's going to be awful for Harry. I can't believe I never realized before. Yeah, me neither. That's a really good thought. Like, doubling the feast for the Dementors, so no wonder. Next time on Newcast, we're going to go into those deep questions for Potterhead, just like we said last time would be next time. But this time, it's for real next time. (laughs) Unless we get another trailer. No, screw the trailer. We're going to do funny stuff. (laughs) Okay, we're doing it. We did tease the question for next episode's topic on Twitter. If you're not following us there, it's at Newtcasts with an S. If you're under the Imperious Curse and you're given Viratus Serum and the person controlling you tells you to lie, will you be able to lie or will the potion overpower it, assuming you're not someone like Harry who can overcome the Imperious Curse on their own? So the results are in. 19% of you said the Imperious Curse would win out. 5% said something else would happen. And 76% said Viratus Serum would win. I think I said Viratus Serum. That's what I think, too. My husband, Tyler, said his theory was that they would still have to lie, but they'd have to think of something else to lie about, which is interesting. Loophole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's funny. I mean, as we know, the Imperious Curse can be overpowered by people with particularly strong wills. So I would think if you interpret Veritaserum as a will of its own being forced upon people, take it then that would overcome the imperious curse right that's my theory and maybe it also depends on the amount of viratus serum that you're you've been given Mm, i didn't thought of that like if it's just a drop and it just like deteriorates in your mouth i don't know how that happens but (laughs) you know science (laughs) i think it's probably case by case basis but for me yeah i think the same way about viratus serum being a little bit more stronger than somebody's will upon you cool Cool. so if you would like to participate in these questions we might be adding more questions on our twitter at newcasts think of other questions that you have thought up while you know gazing up on at the starry sky at night or in the shower or whatever you've always wondered what would happen then send them to us and we will talk about them yeah send it to us tweet us facebook us Comment on this episode on newcast.com. 
Um, and we'll get back to you. So thanks so much, guys. We'll see you around next time. Bye. Bye.